Quick disclaimer, today's story is a fairy tale and does include some violence. As always, not gratuitous. For more info, check out the post on mythpodcast.com. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Finetta Syndrome, a French fairy tale about sisterly love and family systems that reminds us you should always have an oven thermometer on hand that isn't your tongue. And if you didn't know, we'll learn that a greedy ogre is, apparently, the best ogre. Then on the Creature of the Week, it's Cutty Soames, a guy who cuts Soames to maybe steal your girlfriend? This is Myths and Legends, episode 327, Sister, Sister. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are tales you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is a French fairy tale from Countess Madame Dolnois, which I think I've been erroneously saying as Madame Dolnois, so very sorry about that. The tale today has pieces you might recognize from other stories. We'll jump right in with a king and queen facing a calamity. They're not as rich as they were before. I am the king, not a shopkeeper. No, not that one. Put that one down. The voice would have ricocheted down the hall. But seeing as how the royals had been displaced, which was to say defeated and also removed, there was no longer a hall to contain the echoes, nor any attendance to do the bidding, the organizing, the funds managing. Money had run out several weeks ago, and the king, queen, and their three daughters had been forced to make do on a small farm in the middle of nowhere, pawning off their valuables one by one just to get by. It made the local brokers giddy. The Schadenfreude alone was worth the price of admission. The king and queen, with no concept of money or how to make their way in the world, had fled with armfuls of precious items, items they were now selling for a pittance so they could stay alive, like a crown and royal robes. Take what I offered and go, the king barked. Beside him, the queen glared in support. With a sigh, the brokers shriveled and left, knowing they would be back once more within a week for the candelabra, for the rug, for the remainder of the family jewels. All of it would go, sooner or later. You can't eat emeralds. And the brokers were right. Three weeks later, there was nothing left for the deposed royals to sell. We've only ever been royals, murmured the queen one evening. Hours had trickled by that day, uninterrupted by a visit from the buyers, unmeasured by mealtimes or places to be. Hunched, the king listened but held his face in his hands. But there's still a way, the queen added. They could work. The king looked up at his wife. Huh, okay, that's new. How did they do that exactly? The queen beamed as she raised an ugly crumple of lace in her arms. The king stood in awe. Wow, she had turned an unruly mass of strings into a slightly less unruly mass of strings. She was on to something here. For eight days, the queen had pieced it together, the idea being that the king could catch fish and fowl, while the queen spun and repaired and crafted new nets for the times ahead. We can work with our hands for a living, she said. But what about their girls? Their three daughters, Fleur de Moore, the flower of love, Belle de Nut, 
the beauty of the night, and the youngest of all, Finetta. The parents stared at each other before looking away in silence. To the ground. To their shoes beginning to break. The dirt crusted on the fringes of their clothing, and the net spanning between them. The miracle of a net that was good enough for a father and a mother, but was insufficient for their daughters. Three princesses, accustomed to fine things like dolls and sweet meats, and savory meats too, probably. Such a life of want was unacceptable for their children. To be clear, the issue was not that five mouths were harder to feed than two, though they were, nor was it the fact that sacrifices must be made, though they had already been made and they were continuing to be made. The insurmountable problem was that this new life wasn't good enough for their children. They deserved better. Maybe we should ask them how they feel about this, suggested one with a quiver. Or maybe we can just tell them that this is the only way we can survive right now, said the other. But in their hearts, the king and queen both knew that those were terrible ideas. When had direct communication ever worked out for anyone? Sadly, there was nothing else to do but be rid of them. For the girl's sake, they agreed. You will have to do it, the king whispered in the shadows. Nose goes, he said. The queen spun, raising her finger to touch her nose, but finding the king already touching his. Ah, no fair. In the morning. First light, the king said. The queen would take them out and leave them behind. the parents know, but in the shadows just before midnight, Finetta, as the family called her, held her breath against the door. The words horrified her father, mother, abandoning their girls in the morning. There wasn't much time as Finetta slipped away beneath the cover of darkness, past the silo where the daughter slept, and into the woods beyond. She had overheard her parents as they plotted every night for over a week, never believing the king and queen could ever do such a thing, but mother and father were going to see it through in the morning, which was why Finetta had stashed a sack of materials behind a tree earlier that day, just in case. Flour, eggs, milk, butter, all the items a cottage cake might need, a cake that would hopefully satisfy the Merluccia. Fairy Merluccia, the girl's godmother, lived a fair distance away. She would know what to do. She had to. That was if... Finetta could get there. Her shoes were long worn through, and the path through the woods full of stones and sharp sticks. Soon, her toes began to ache and bleed, and at the next log, she tripped, sprawling into the dirt with a shout. How in the world was she going to reach her godmother and return home in time to be abandoned? If only she had a horse, just like the one grazing a few feet away by the tree line. Finette's mouth fell open. Hello, horse? she greeted. The creature stood fully tacked, bejeweled in diamonds. Finette thought that this was noteworthy, and when it knelt, holding steady for the girl to mount, Finette uttered a plea. Will you take me to the cave of my godmother, please? Within minutes, they arrived at the edge of Merluccia's humble grotto, where the woman seemed to be waiting. Yeah, of course the horse was mine. It's a magical diamond-studded horse, the godmother chuckled with open arms. She took Finette's bag of ingredients and set them aside on the table. Come, my daughter. Lonely Merluccia has missed you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, 
was all Fenetti could say before explaining why she had come, which was not necessary, seeing as how Merluccia already knew. Why do you think I set out my brush and comb, she said with a sparkle. It was kind of their thing. Fenetti would stand and brush her godmother's hair while Merluccia thought out loud and solved the current problem at hand. Use this ball of yarn, she landed on at last. It's strong and will never break. Fenetta asked, won't the queen see it and ask what she's doing? Merluccia said it was magical. She didn't need to worry about that. Oh, so it's an invisible thread? Merluccia shook her head. It, it's strong, it will never break, not invisible. You know what? Let's just move on. Don't worry about it. The story doesn't. Here, put this in your bag and tomorrow morning, tie one end to the door of your parents' cottage and trust that it will lead you home. Now go. You need to make it back before sunrise. Merluccia had never led Finette astray before, and so the ball of yarn fell into her bag. And two or three minutes later, Finette was home. As the horse disappeared among the trees, Finette slipped back into the silo, where her sister snored on a bed of straw. Without a sound, Finette stashed her bag in the corner behind a haystack and waited. She waited and hoped that her parents would have a change of heart before it was too late. But if they didn't, at least Finette was prepared. Just before dawn, the call came. Girls, come, my daughters, come into the farmhouse. Are you ready? Ready for what? Asked Fleur, popping ahead inside. Belle and young Finette shuffled in behind the eldest daughter, forming a line. Wait, is it breakfast day? No, lamented the queen. But your father and I were discussing last night, and we think... The woman trailed off. She was dressed in a long jacket and carried an even longer stick. Ready, but unable to say it, thought Finette from the back of the line. You're all going on a trip, the king blurted from his side on a low stool by the hearth. To a fun party. He folded his hands and grimaced. The queen nodded. Yes, a trip to see their aunt. My sister will be happy to see us, and we will have plenty to eat and drink there, she said. Stepping toward the door, Apparently, she's been there the whole time. I just, like, kind of forgot about her. The older girls were ecstatic. And as they set out, their conversation rang of hope and eagerness. I feel like we've been living in a desert, and now we're headed for water, said Fleur. I would walk anywhere that wasn't here, said Belle, but a place with a party sounds divine. Okay, shut up. It's a long trip, mumbled the queen from the front. But we'll get there soon enough. Just chill out. At the rear was Finetta although she trailed further and further behind, cradling her ball of yarn like a kitten. She had tied the loose end to the farmhouse door at the last moment, scurrying after the others while draping the string over shrubs and through trees. They walked through field and forest all day, traveling further than they'd ever been before. And eventually, the ball of yarn began to grow thin. But just when Finita thought there might not be enough, the queen stopped and turned on a heel. They would camp here for the night, and tomorrow be on their way. I feel like maybe you should have told us we'd be sleeping outside so we could have brought a tent, Finetta said. Oh, little Miss Princess too good to sleep in the grass. What does the good book say? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They make a great mattress. Not even Solomon in all his glory slept on a mattress so nice. Just tremendous. The best mattress. Finetta said that that didn't sound right, but her mother wouldn't look away. 
until she curled up in the tall grass with her sisters, watching, waiting, the queen unaware that not all of her daughters slept. That night, Finette trembled as the silhouette of the queen blended into the night and out of sight without pause. Only then did the youngest princess close her eyes, her fist balled within another fist, and inside them both, the very end of a string that was their only hope. We'll see that if at first you don't succeed in leaving your children in the wilderness, yet that's good, you shouldn't do that. But the king and queen apparently feel differently about that. We'll see what happens next, but that will be right after this. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration. And Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. I have a string, Finetta insisted. Her godmother, the yarn, the trail that would lead them home. She lifted her hands, waving the red string. Finetta had been the first one to open her eyes, beneath the clean light of day. Briefly, briefly, she had considered heading home without her sisters, seeing as how they were always pushing her around and hitting her. But no matter how they fought, Finetta could not abandon them, not like her parents had done to all of them. She had told the other princesses the cold, hard truth after that, and now Fleur and Belle sat crying atop a stump. But the string will lead us home, Finetta promised. Her sisters only needed to trust her. If you are right, I will give you all my dolls, said one, and I will give you my silver plate and all the sweets I've been hiding, said the other. Finetta eyed her sisters, knowing full well they would do no such thing, but she'd woken them up and promised to take them home, and she did. But just before they knocked on the front door, the muffled voices of the king and queen shot through the cracks. The parents were distraught, doleful, woeful. Their children were so much better off on their own. Although it made the father sad, and although the queen might cry a thousand tears, the girls would now have a chance, they told themselves, over and over and over again. Uh, Pass the bread and the soup. But we're back, burst Fleur against the door. Belle joined her, pounding on the wooden planks. 
It took nearly five minutes of back and forth through the door. So sure were the king and queen that the voices belonged to ghosts and not their children, definitely not their children. But in the end, Finetta crouched and stuck her face through the gap at the bottom of the door, made for the cat. And that convinced the king and queen that their girls had returned and that the girls were just gonna crawl through the cat door anyway, so they might as well open it up. Finetta spat blood from her mouth. No good deed. When she asked for the doll and the sweets from her two older sisters, they refused. When she demanded the dolls and sweets, they brought their distaffs down on her until she ran. They told her she better not come back that night. It looked like she was in for another night sleeping under the stars. When she heard the words drifting from the house with her father and mother, her heart sank. She had to have known that one failed attempt was not the end of it. Her parents were speaking, again, about leaving them in the woods, farther and deeper, to a spot from which they would never return. So, Finetta sought her godmother again. She brought food again, though this time it involved some light killing, her wringing the necks of two hens and a fattened rooster. She found a horse again, and again, she combed Merluccia's hair while the woman helped her figure out a plan. This time, it was a bag of ashes. Finetta could shake it before her as she walked. That way, she could follow her own footsteps back home. Merluccia froze, then reached up to hold Finetta's hand and stop her combing. You must leave your sisters, though. Finetta said she did. Merluccia said she saw the bruises, the cuts. Finetta should make it easy for herself. Leave her sisters to die in the forest. It's what they deserved. Finetta said she didn't know if she could do that. The godmother held up her hands. She would hopefully make it easy. If Finetta returned with her sisters, she would never see Merluccia again. Finetta was quiet the rest of the time with Merluccia. When the first light of dawn began to warm the horizon, Merluccia summoned the horse. She looked with sadness to Finetta and passed a bag up to the young woman, waiting in the saddle. For your travels, she said. Finetta looked through the bag, it was bunch of ugly, balled-up lace, like her mother used. She shrugged. Well, she knew there would be a use for it. Her fairy godmother hadn't failed her yet. Oh, I'm so sick, the king bellowed, holding his stomach. Your father is sick the queen observed. We need to go get him a special flower. Deep in the forest, Finetta trailed behind, dropping the ash as she did, leaving footprints on the path. That night, after the older two princesses were fooled for the flimsiest of premises that they had to sleep there because it would take too long to get back, and they had been abandoned, Finetta sat up. Her sisters were sleeping in the grass. Wow, I mean, how did they fall for it again? No child deserved to be left in the forest, but they were really making it super easy. Now, though, it was Finetta's turn. Would she be like her parents, leaving her sisters in the forest so she could live? Or would she bring them back, even though they didn't deserve it, merely because it was the right thing to do? 
Finetta didn't think about it long. She rose, and then knelt down to wake up her sisters. Finetta knew the cost. She knew it when they returned home. When, the following night, listening at the door of the farmhouse, Finetta heard her parents plotting again. She knew it when she had nowhere else to go, when she was left alone to figure out how she was going to get back. But she wasn't alone. She had her sisters. She did what she hadn't up until that point and rushed to them so they could all prepare. Together. And the answer, it seemed, was peas. Belle came up with it. Fleur didn't have anything, and even though Finetta said peas seemed like kind of a bad idea, Belle pulled rank, being older than Finetta. Finetta said that she had concerns, and those concerns were well-founded when birds, squirrels, even foxes ate every last pea on the trail, the trail that wound through the trees, out of the grasslands, and into the desert where the girls slept that night. The following morning, the young women found that the king and queen were finally successful. They had been abandoned in the wilderness. I see. Oh my gosh. Finetta squinted. It it was a house. She was at the top of the tree they found. They had been in the desert for days. Finetta's stomach ached and felt like it stuck to the inside of her body, eating itself. But she took some solace that she had made this choice. She chose the lives of her sisters over safety and comfort, and they would make it out together. And now, things were looking up. A mansion in the distance. A chateau. Maybe it was a mirage, maybe a hallucination. It certainly didn't seem likely that it had walls made out of emeralds and rubies and a roof made out of diamonds, but even better than all those things, it was shelter, and it meant not starting. She yelled down as much to her sisters, pointing them in the direction of the house, and what were they doing with her bag? The bag Merluccia, her godmother had given her. The tangled lace had been tossed out, and the sisters were finishing putting on what they found at the bottom. Beautiful dresses. Diamonds. Finetta had been carrying those the whole time. Finetta screamed for them to give those back. But the sisters laughed. Uh, no? Sorry? Finetta pointed a finger in Fleur's face. But Belle smacked Finetta with a stick, sending her sprawling on the ground. Finetta looked up at the girls she had sacrificed everything to save, begin their walk to the chateau. They spoke on the way about how that home had to contain a king, or at least some princes who would marry them, then, then they would be fine. They looked back. <laughs> not her, though. They had to be careful not to call Finetta their sister, they said as they approached the manor, which, yeah, actually did have walls made out of gemstones and a diamond roof. Wow. You're welcome to leave, poor cowherd girl from the village, the princesses laughed. Take your chances out there, alone, or come with us and scrub the kitchen floor. We don't care. The sisters laughed again. Finetta looked back to the darkening horizon and the desert and chose the manor with her sisters. And not five minutes later, all three of them were running for their lives from the place. The ogress they found in the manor, 15 feet tall and 30 feet around, 
told them that they would hardly suffice for her husband's breakfast, but she would take them anyway. Knowing that they had made a slight error, the three girls had just taken off. But the 15-foot-tall ogress had giant strides. She caught Fleur by the neck, Belle by her hair, and shoved Finetta under her arm. The debate from the cell over who had it worse was only silenced when an adder slithered over Fleur's foot. A frog jumped down Belle's dress, and Finette leaned back against the cell's previous and permanent tenant. The leftovers the ogres had failed to come back for. The leftovers that had gone bad. The door at the end of the hall squealed as the ogress lumbered in. She pointed at Finetta. You, the other sisters grinned. Me? Finetta trembled. That's what you means, yes. The ogress wrenched her from the cell. So, uh, how's it going? The ogress tried to make conversation as the pair walked to the kitchen. The ogress was going to turn Finetta into a salad, which is not only gross, but demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the word salad. Finetta said how did she think it was going? She was about to be eaten. The ogress said, look, she was sorry. If it was up to her, she would let the girls live. About three or four more days, but she had a husband who was head of the house. She, too, was being bossed around. (laughs) Middle ages, am I right? Finetta shook her head. Their things were not the same thing. As they rounded the corner to the kitchen, the ogress said she was just making conversation, but it wasn't every day that they had three well-dressed girls stop by. Then she looked at Finetta. Well, two well-dressed girls walk up to their manor. What was their deal? Finetta thought of something. She turned to the ogress and told the woman her life story. Well, a version of her life story. Wait, for real? You and your sisters do hair? The ogress said, holding up her own. She just had these split ends. No matter what she did, the frizz... There was a sound at the door. He was home, the ogre, her husband. He was four times her height, so about 90 feet tall, and he was hungry. He barreled into the kitchen, saying he demanded to know why he smelled human. Raw, uncooked human, the worst type of human. The ogress stepped between her husband and Finetta. Okay, okay, look, she did find some humans, but these were different. Can they keep them? Please, 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 can they keep them? Belle and Fleur were brought from their cells and stood before the ogre couple. The ogress said that the girls could sweep, sew, spin, make bread, cakes, and patties so good, people would come from thousands of leagues to try them. And they did hair, which, okay, it was so hard to find a good hairdresser. The sisters looked with panic to Finetta, who only shook her head. Not a word. The husband put his hands on his hips. Sure. Okay. The girls would cook for them and clean for them and all that, and when they outlived their usefulness, they would eat them. The ogress ran to her husband with a hug. He said he would go consume, quote, a hundred lambs and a hundred suckling pigs as an appetizer. You know what's better than a raw, live pig other than probably everything? Well, it's the smell of melting butter. The ogre was loving it, but Finetta had a problem. The ogre folded up his newspaper, which was really just most of a mural he had ripped from a wall somewhere, and asked how he could help. As we all know, the only way to check if an oven was ready was to lean inside the oven and lick some butter. 
The problem? Well, the oven was too deep for any of the sisters to lean in and lick the butter. The ogre smiled. Of course he knew things, like cooking and other stuff. He was very smart. So that, that made sense, definitely. And he often got asked to reach the tall shelf, you know, the ones that were nearly nine stories up. He asked where this butter was. And that's how the ogress ran into the room to her husband's screams. By the time she made it to the oven door, though, his pounding had stopped. By the time she managed to open it, he was cinders. The ogre was already unbalanced enough that all it took was the slightest push from the sisters, and he tumbled right into the oven. They Hansel and Gretel'd him. Finetta said she was so sorry. She saw the ogre tumble in, but there was nothing she could do. It was a terrible, terrible accident. The ogress slumped over. She, she didn't know what she was going to do. She didn't love him, but they had been together for so long. There, there, Finetta said, stroking the ogress's back. She said the ogress was a smart, interesting, beautiful woman. Any man or ogre or troll would be lucky to have her. Heck, she could marry a count, a marquis, even a prince. The ogress looked up. Fenetta really thought that? That she could marry a prince? Fenetta said, yeah, of course. The ogress sniffled. Fenetta was right. She could marry someone new. Okay, new plan. The girls would do her hair, and then they were all leaving for a nearby kingdom. The girls looked at each other with a smile. They would leave this horrible, horrible place forever. I'll bring you three as travel snacks. We're skipping dinner after all. Fleur and Belle nearly fainted. Finette helped the ogress stand. Sounded great. Where did they want to do the haircut? A, a little or a lot. Your call. You're young. You know the styles, I'm assuming, the ogress said. Vanette said, oh, yeah. She was taking a lot off. That sounds ominous, was the last thing the ogress said before her head was dangling from Fanetta's hand, dripping on the floor. Quick life pro tip. If you're going to eat someone, well, we've already talked about this part, don't. But especially don't sit down for a haircut with that person beforehand. One especially decisive snip and Finetta's ogre problems were over. We'll see Finetta's fortunes take yet another turn, but that will, once again, be right after this. This had not gone well. Finetta labored to pull herself up from the floor, but... With a third crack from Fleur's walking stick, she was down again. She had learned to stay down in these situations. For a few minutes, it had been great. They ran through the palace, going through every room, jumping on beds and throwing jewels up in the air. Then her sisters said that someone needed to clean all this up. Oh, and get rid of the bodies. Finetta had laughed, saying they could do all that together. But the suggestion that they should do any work at all threw the sisters into a rage. They found the ogress's keys and took control of the manor. 
If Fanetta said a word, uttered a single complaint, they would beat her, quote, almost to death. Fanetta didn't know what to do. She just killed two ogres, but she wouldn't harm her sisters. So she stayed. She got rid of the bodies and cooked and cleaned for her sisters. She spent her days thinking about how she could leave them and what she could do. She tried all sorts of doors in the manor for any supplies, and if you're wondering if she found any Bluebeard rooms, she absolutely did. But she did find something else. A casket. A casket was an odd place to store several beautiful dresses. But the previous tenants of the manor had consumed live pigs by the hundreds, so weird was to be expected. Ugh, Sendron, Fleur shrieked. Yeah, Cinder, ugh. Belle shook her head. Oh, I thought that it meant ash. Fleur looked to her sister. Belle said, either way. In, in French, it's ash. In Catalan, it's Cinder. Depends where this story comes from, but they were losing sight of their frustration. This Cendron girl, she was messing everything up for them. Then Fleur brushed against Finetta as they walked through the kitchens. Finetta, you got, ew, you got ash all over my dress. Take a bath. Finetta got back to work. Fleur and Belle were fuming. They had guys locked down. Merchants, wealthy ones to make their former dad look like a pauper. And then, out of nowhere, Sendron. So hot right now. Sendron. All the guys left their girlfriends for even a shot at dating Sendron. There wasn't a poet that didn't throw out his old verses to extol the praises of Sendron. It was... Belle recoiled in disgust at the tray of snacks Finetta brought her. Ew, Finetta, there's dust from the cinders all over these. She threw it against the wall. Do it again. Do you know where she came from? Fleur asked. Belle shook her head. No, no one did. She just showed up one day, saying that people could call her Sendron. I hope she's not coming to the prince's big dance. The one on Saturday? Yeah, the one on Saturday. At 7 p.m., of course, at the palace. Where else? The sisters sat back. Well, as long as this Sendron character didn't find out about that, they'd be good. The prince was dying. Yeah, his, his heart is breaking. Literally breaking. Not maybe, I don't know. This is the 16th century. We're lucky to even know what a heart is. The Parisian physician laughed. Uh, but yeah, no, seriously, he's not doing well. I'd give him a week, 10 days tops. The king and queen burst into tears. Hey, sorry, it is tough raising kids in this time. You know, only half make it to adulthood. So it is doubly sad that he made it. And now he's dying of a broken heart. Hey, at least you have a succession plan in place. And he's not your only son. Wait, he is? Shoot, I'm going back to Paris. Find the girl this guy's in love with, or yeah, sorry. Oof. As the physician saw himself out, the king and queen gathered around their boy, the prince. Sendron, he wept. Sendron. Ashes, I know, our kingdom will be ashes. The king shook his head. I think he means cinder, the queen noted. The king said it didn't matter what it meant. It would all end the same way if the prince died. 
he ran his fingers through his hair and paced the room. Then, with a cough from the prince, the husband and wife looked over to see a shoe. A, a shoe? The prince said he found this after the dance. She ran, Sendron ran, and he found it in the road. It was hers. The king inspected the shoe, red velvet affixed with pearls. This, no doubt, belonged to her, Sendron. And if they found the owner of the shoe, he snapped his fingers. They needed ladies. All the single ladies. All the single ladies? All the single ladies, yes. That, what, did he need to repeat it like three or four more times? So they brought, yes, all the single ladies to the courtyard outside the palace. They would try on the shoe and whoever it fit, she was the mystery woman, Sendron. Now put your hands up if you want to marry the prince, the queen said. Every hand in the courtyard shot up. She didn't even know why she asked that. Whatever. All right, let's get started. The line started moving as, one by one, each woman was taken in, had her try with the shoe, and was escorted out with a gift bag, probably. Then, the queen looked out. Gasps from outside. Sendron. And it was. Finetta. As soon as her sisters left for the contest that morning, a Spanish charger galloped up, like the one that used to take her to Melusha. Finetta had smiled. She immediately recognized what was going on. Making the decision to save her sisters wasn't Merluxia cutting her off. It had been a test. The road had been long, but it had led her there. She washed, got dressed, and the horse knew the way to the palace. Fleur and Belle immediately recognized their sister, and they also happened to be standing by a mud puddle. Finetta didn't notice them, but her horse did when it coated them with mud. Sendron, the queen asked. Finetta, she smiled. She said that the queen had her shoe. The line stopped, and together, they walked in. The shoe fit, of course. The prince, named Prince Sherry, perked up in her presence. The king and queen smiled. Wonderful. They would be married immediately. No, Finetta said. The king and queen spun to face her. Prince Sherry fainted. No, I, well, I'm the king. No one says no to me, the ruler spat. Finetta said her father had. He had lost. He had lost everything, of course. But he said no. And then this king killed everyone he loved and drove him into exile. The king swallowed hard. Wait, whose daughter are you? Now, if I don't marry him, he'll die, right? Finetta asked. The king and queen looked away. Finetta said it was simple. You are to rebuild my father's kingdom, reinstate him as king, and my mother as queen, and never show your face there again. Finetta's voice was as severe as Prince Sherry's condition. The king said he would never be told what to do by some dispossessed girl. Finetta cut him off. Fine. She wasn't marrying him, the prince. She waited, what? He wasn't going to call the guards, drag her off to the dungeons? Finetta said that she had been down a long road. She knew better than most about making hard decisions for the people you love. Even if they didn't love you back or they were scared or whatever. She was doing it right now, actually. She was still angry with her parents, but 
she recognized that you don't trick your kids to go die in the forest if things are going really great in your life. So she was helping to lift them out of that terrible, terrible place. And she wasn't going to budge. Her best and final offer was this. The prince's life in exchange for her parents' kingdom. The king could go ask two girls in the courtyard and two dead ogres about what happened when they tested her resolve. The king swore and relented. The day Finetta Sindron, as she would come to be called, married Prince Sherry, was the day she was reunited with both her sisters and her parents. She tacked on an addendum to her demands that the king and queen love her sisters too. This proved to be the most challenging thing of all. As for the parents, the fairy godmother, Merluxia, found them and told them where to find their daughters. The parents had never quite been the same after leaving their girls. They searched the forest for weeks, racked with guilt, determined that if they were gonna face hard times, they would do it together now. So they were surprised to see Finette in a place of power. They flew to her and she had to change her dress for all the tears, but they begged her for forgiveness and Finette granted it. In the end, the story tells us that there's no greater vengeance than returning good for evil. I kind of think that that's not always the case. I mean, definitely if the person feels bad, but then is that really a situation for vengeance? I don't know. I do like how Finetta turned the trope of someone winning the hand of the royal to drag themselves out of the condition of their birth on its head, instead coldly bargaining with the prince's life to ultimately win the conflict her father couldn't without weapons at all. Next week, it's the Monkey King where the Monkey King maybe kind of meets his match? If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a cat paw, a fake cat paw that curls up and grabs stuff, it's on a stick, you can get ad-free versions of the show and bonus episodes that won't satisfy that urge you have to push something off a table for no reason. I mean, you can still do it, but I don't know, it just feels weird and angry to do it with human hands and not a cat paw. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this week is Cuddy Soames from Northumbria in Great Britain. So if you're unfamiliar with 19th century British mining terms, first, how dare you, but a soam is a rope that would connect a mine cart full of coal to a putter who would take the coal from the place where it was mined to the bottom of the mine shaft. The putter, according to some sources I found, was sometimes a young man, but apparently more often a boy or girl. So Cuddy Soames was the creature who cut the Soames, cut the rope leading from the child to the minecart. It's like if my name was Hosty Podcast. I'm having a really hard time determining whether this mine spirit is a bad guy or something of an anti-hero. On one hand, having full mine carts running free in the mine feels like a dangerous thing. On the other hand, apparently he would warn of dangerous events about to happen and beat unpopular foremen. If this sounds like just a Northumbrian mine-centric Batman, well, he kind of was. Rumors swirled that it was a miner that had died, and he came back to warn his friends. And 
also beat up management for putting them in precarious situations. Apparently, though, he wasn't remembered well enough other than to give him the name Cuddy Soames. As the legend goes, though, it was actually someone who had worked for the mine, named Nelson, who was Scooby-Dooing the whole situation and pretending to be Cuddy Soames, trying to make another overseer look bad because they were trying to woo the same girl. Things turned tragic, though, when Nelson apparently sabotaged two miners, leading to them falling to their deaths. Maybe it was an accident, or maybe whatever lived deep down in the mines wasn't pleased with being blamed for Nelson's crimes, because not long after, the mine caught fire, and all but Nelson made it out. Cuddy Soames Colliery, as the mine came to be known, was sealed up and never worked again after that. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is a podcast by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 